Hey there, welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards with pureandsimplebible.com. Very thankful for another conversation opportunity. And we're finishing up a four-part series called Reclaim Your Role with Jamie Thompson, who sat with me um, a while ago now, and we, without stopping or pausing or editing, and I didn't have to do any editing post as well. It was just put it in there and then splice them up into the four different episodes. So well done, Jamie, for setting through. Uh, to the guest who hears my own uhs and ums, I'm sorry you had to hear them, but I wanted to uh, highlight how well Jamie did, so I wanted to present it to you in its raw form, and uh, obviously I fall short. So I want you to, if you haven't had the chance, go back and listen to the other three episodes in this miniseries before you listen to this one. Each episode previously focuses or highlights a particular relationship and the two roles in that dynamic. So the husband and the wife, the father-child, the uh, bond-servant and master. And they're really, I think, worth listening to before we get to this because they help emphasize that God has a plan and that his plan is not for anyone to feel as though they have been um, beaten down or they're under some sort of tight iron fist of somebody who has more power or authority than them, but rather both roles in these relationships have duties to the Lord and to the person in the relationship. So check them out. Today we're going to be shifting gears and revisiting some of the more controversial ideas uh, from one of these relationships, and we'll use 1 Timothy 2 as our guide to make sense of it for those that desire to be in a relationship from a Christian perspective. So buckle up. Let's jump back in, shall we? We're going back to the first part of our conversation, and uh, you've kind of addressed this somewhat already, but it seems like, you know, uh, let me let me quote this at you. I remember reading this, I think, in, in some old commentary on Genesis. Maybe it was Adam Clark or Matthew Henry or one of those guys. And they said, when God made woman out of man, she didn't make him out of his head to be above him or his foot to be below him, but out of his side to be next to him. And so she is his uh, perfect counterpart or equal partner. Let me a modern way that some people would say she's his equal partner. So this whole idea of submission doesn't seem very equal. Definitely doesn't seem like a partnership. Seems like one has it all and the other has none. So, what would you say to that? Um, whenever all around us, we should just be getting along, and you know, it's fifty-fifty split. I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> I think that straight off, there's a difference between equality and equity. Um, and what do you mean by equal? That's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer that. Okay, good. good. Because <laughs> equal in what regard? Man and woman are both formed in the image of God and have a spirit that comes from God, the Father of spirits. And all uh, both are equally precious in the sight of God. Um, Paul writes that in the church, there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, bond nor free. We're all one in Christ. Everyone who is in the church is a Christian. 
no matter um, his or her sex or occupation or ethnicity. We're a part of the church. We're a part of that beautiful bride that Jesus sees from heaven. But that doesn't mean that we're equal in authority. doesn't mean that we're equal in role. doesn't mean we're exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Men and women are different, and they have been given different roles. They are of equal value. They're equally human, equally uh, Jesus died for them, uh, both. But they have different roles. Right. And um, that's part of the submitting to one another. Not everyone can be the same. Otherwise, nothing would get done. There are different roles. And Paul writes uh, more about this kind of from a different perspective in First Timothy chapter 2. Before you turn there, I just want to add one um, for my own sake or for my own studies. In First Corinthians 11, it talks about headship. Mm-hmm. And you've got God the Father and Jesus submits to God the Father. And then you've got man and woman, and woman submits to man. And so, to your point earlier about equity and the and equality, um, and how we all we all have an equal salvation, but our um, different roles of authority, we could also make the point that Jesus Christ and the God the Father are equal in their glory and in their mm-hmm. divine nature, and yet one takes on a different role of authority than the other. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And and so it is with this husbands and wife things we're talking about back to my inquisitor uh (laughs) (laughs) so first timothy 2 you said is where we're gonna yeah first timothy 2 um let's read the first couple of verses to begin with okay it says therefore i exhort first of all that supplications prayers intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. I'll set you up to interrupt you because uh, if, if just as a kind of a side note, the biblical way for affecting social or political change is not voting or demonstrating on Facebook or getting angry. It's prayer. Mm. If we want to make social change, we don't get out on the streets or you know do whatever. God has given us a way to affect social change. That is to pray, to pray for those who are in authority. You want to make the world a better place? Pray for it. Mm. That makes me think of a sermon by Glenn Osborne. I don't know if you happen to have heard it, but he was deeply offended by people that were uh, accosting the thoughts and prayers that people were giving to, like at a, a shooting or something, and somebody just tweet out, I'm praying for the people. And they'd say, we don't need your prayers. We need change. And he was, I mean, I could feel his offense that how dare we be just so flippant that that we don't want prayers. It seems like this verse and, and the point you're making is that praying for others is how we do affect change. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, do you want me to keep reading? Why don't we skip on down to verse 8? We're running long already. Okay. And eight, verse 8 is where I um, want to get to. Okay. Maybe if you're listening at home, you can read the rest of the, the chapter yourself. Sure. But the, what we're going to focus on is um, starting in verse 8. All right. Go ahead and read verse 8, please. I desire, therefore, that the men at pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So the point here is, 
Paul's switching and he's talking about roles. And he wants men to lead and to be seen to be leading. No, let me unpack that a little bit. Okay. He says, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere. What does he want men to be seen to be doing? He said that he wants um, us to pray for all men, especially those who are in authority, that we may live a quiet and peaceable life. He wants men to pray everywhere. So men are to be seen to be taking a lead in the community. Let me rephrase it. Be seen to be taking the lead by the community Mm. and Mm. um, taking the religious lead in their lives and their family's life. I think at one point I was going to ask the question, how do we do this without being pharisaical? Because Jesus said not to don't pray like the Pharisees do in Matthew chapter uh, six, sounding the trumpet on the street corner, etc. But I think you've already answered it for me. And just in case anyone out there was thinking a similar question, this type of lifting up holy hands in prayer is not for show. No. It's the attitude Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 6. That doesn't mean that if you someone overhears you praying, then it's in vain and God won't hear it. it. Jesus is discussing the attitude behind it. Are you trying to glorify yourself or glorify God? Mm-hmm. And if you're trying to glorify God, then God hears you. Okay. Okay. And he goes on saying, lifting up holy hands. I think the sense behind that is the hands are what you use to do things. So we're to be seen praying everywhere. Our hands are to be holy, to do things with holy hands. Holy, it's not some spiritual superpower. Holy just means set apart or sanctified for a special purpose. It isn't a praise stance where I'm, I have my arms raised up no. to the heavens. I think, I think Paul is using a metaphor here. Okay. He's saying that our hands are to be active. We're to be doing holy things and seen to be holy seen to be praying without wrath or doubting. People look at our lives and they see men leading in the church, leading in their families, and living holy lives. That makes sense metaphorically because if it's literal, then you're literally worshiping without wrath and doubt, and Mm -hmm. that doesn't make sense at all because we would generally not have wrath or doubt in worship. So, yeah. And I, I think what Paul is saying is that men are to show themselves as obviously men of God. They're righteous, and they're not of the world. They're different from the world. They're set apart. They're holy in their prayer, in their actions. That's the lifting up holy hands. And the without um, wrath or doubting is in their attitudes. So prayer, actions, attitudes. Obvious to the world that you're holy. You're different than the world. Okay. I may have some questions, but I'm going to marinate on it for a minute. Okay. So... uh, is it a good time to read that next scripture about the role of women? Yes. Okay. So. Yeah, you can ambush me later. <laughs> First Timothy 2, verse 9 through 12. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. So the first point I want to make here is that in like manner also. So it's easy to come to this verse and see all the things that women aren't allowed to do, how that women have to buckle under and 
um, be subservient to men. I don't think that's the point. I think we're looking at this passage wrong. Because men are to obviously be men of God. They're, obvi- they're to uh, have holy hands that are to be set apart, different from the world. And the way that men do that is by lifting up holy hands, um, praying everywhere without wrath and doubting. Mm-hmm. In like manner, the way that women profess themselves to be holy is in a different role than mm-hmm. men. Mm-hmm. Men are to be seen as leading. Women are to be seen as submissive. They're, they make it obvious that they're holy, that they're righteous women, that they're set apart from the world, not of this world, by dressing modestly, discreetly, and with good works. Mm. So they show a picture of holiness, of being set apart from the world. Again, mm-hmm. that's all that holy means, set apart from the world, by being dressing, by being dressed modestly, discreetly, being dressed with good works, and they are to show their uh, holiness by not teaching or having authority over a man. So that is that they're to have a helper position rather than a leadership position. And that's the way that God wants uh, women to show themselves as holy or set apart um, by exemplifying these roles. Okay. So I will ask a question or two or five. Um, Help me understand in verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach. But then there are other scriptures where we see them in a capacity of teaching. You know, so I think of Aquila and Priscilla taking aside Apollos in Acts chapter 17, I think, or 18. Um, We know that older women are to teach younger women in Titus 2. And uh, those are just the ones I'm thinking off the top of my head. How do we Uh, reconcile some of these? Lois and Eunice, we already talked about. Yeah, that's right. So they're teaching young Timothy. Yeah. I want all these scriptures to work. I don't want to pick one or the other. So how do I make sense of them? I think that's a a great question. I'm I'm glad you brought it up. We didn't go by it without remembering to bring it up. But um, the context is important, I think context okay because there are situations where a woman is not only allowed to teach but is commanded to teach Mm. older women must teach younger women Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we have examples of women teaching not just women but men like you say aquila and priscilla teaching apollos i think the context is what what is um uh, in in play here so where are the men to um show their holiness in this passage it'd be more of a uh dare i say public but it seems like it's a role that's observable yeah because they're lifting up holy hands right i think so it says i desire therefore that the men pray everywhere Uh uh-huh and the picture that i see the metaphor that's being used is when we're out in the world going about our day-to-day activities we uh, men are to lead, to show themselves as men of God, prayerful, with a godly attitude and um, righteous living. And women are to uh, show themselves as holy out in the world mm-hmm. by the way they dress and by their um, discreet good works uh, and by not uh, having authority over men 
And, you know, a woman has to get changed sometimes. She's not going to be modestly dressed 24 hours a day. So when is a woman to be modestly dressed? When she's out in front of other people. And so when is a, a woman to not uh, teach or have authority over a man? It's when she's out in public. Maybe that's helpful. I don't know. Does that answer your question or you see ho- some holes in my arguments? Um, I like your argument. And the same way that it's reasonable to say that there's it seems to be more of a, a public place. But I like that, you know, we don't want to obviously get too graphic, but I like the, the connection there of it's not reasonable to say that she's modest, um, modestly dressed 24-7. Um, and so, so it would be with, with teaching as well. This isn't our, our topic, but it is a very interesting question for me personally. So um, I'm curious about, uh, let's see, you describe her as taking a helper position rather than a leadership position. What are your thoughts on women praying at home and how do we teach our daughters to pray at home if we're present and we're the leaders of the home i think that's that's a great question i think um i think out in public that it's going to be the men that are praying because they're taking that leadership uh, position having said that it is vital that our women and our girls learn how to pray Yes, They can't just be listening all the time because then they won't learn how to pray for themselves. And prayer is important because it develops a relationship with God. And so we need to teach our kids, whether they're boys or girls, we need to teach our new converts and our our members how to pray. Jesus' disciples lived with him for three years and they still asked him, teach us how to pray. (laughs) So it's like no no one's too old to learn how to pray, I feel like. Um. I think uh, in the somewhere where it's just your family, maybe it is totally appropriate for your kids or your wife or any woman to pray and learn how to pray to just as it's appropriate in and necessary in some settings for women to teach. Not just women and girls, but also men. I think it's appropriate for women to pray in those similar situations you know i I think um in trying to decide what those situations were and we're talking about um in a a public setting out in the world or something that's a little bit more private maybe i did a a disservice by skipping over verses three to seven i encourage you to go look at those because the context is paul going out and preaching to the gentiles and it's the context is him going out to preach to unbelievers and in that same context that's where men are to pray everywhere mm-hmm. that's where mm-hmm. women are to in the same way um, dress modestly and discreetly and, and with good works and to not have authority um, or to teach men over, authority over a man or to teach men you know this is very different from a a worldview that does advocate um, egalitarianism to the extreme. Mm-hmm. And so it really would be 
just like from another planet almost for someone that doesn't see the value in this to, to listen to it. I hope what they're hearing is that in this view, the Christian worldview, where we we do our best to honor the scriptures as it's presented to us, that first we take it seriously. And it may that may mean that our lifestyle is completely different or foreign to someone who is not familiar with this. But two, I do like that, that what you brought out um, as far as advocating for all members of the family, male and female, um, that we're, we're not wanting to repress anyone from learning how to have a relationship with God. Yes, yeah. Yeah, we're, so, we're all prophets in the church. Uh, we're all priests, rather, in the church. We're all priests. Men and women are all priests in the church. And therefore, we have a direct link to God. We worship him directly through our, our high priest, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good, good, good. Now, the reading keeps going, and it really con- it makes the contrast between men and women even a little bit uh, it provides some context for that. Yeah. Context for contrast. There we go. That's what I was trying to say. First uh, Timothy 2, verse 13, For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. And so you, you make the point there's two reasons why there's role differences? Yes. So we, we talked a bit there. Men and women aren't exactly the same. They're... Uh, men and women are both Christians. They're um, equal members of the body. Uh, there's no division between men and women. They're all Christians, all equally valuable to God, but they are different. And so uh, there's two reasons that Paul gives for the uh, roles. First is the creation order that man was created before woman. Adam was created before Eve. And secondly was Eve's role in the fall. So God designed Eve to be a helper for Adam, and therefore God designed men to have a relation, uh, a leadership role and the woman to have a, a helper role. If there wasn't the fall, would it still be the same? That's a, a difficult question. I don't really know the answer to that. I guess we that. can't know, right? No, no. <laughs> I guess God foresaw that there would be a fall. I mean... I guess if there wasn't a fall, we'd be sitting here talking about there's one reason and one reason only <laughs> that men and women have different roles. It's because Adam was created first. <laughs> okay. Well, that that's kind of answer the question. If there wasn't a fall, would there still be differences? And the answer is yes. Eve was still a helper to Adam before the fall. Right. Right. Yeah. And I guess with, with sin being absent to submit to authority and then to exercise authority would be done in perfect harmony. Yeah, yeah. And before sin, uh, Adam and Eve both submitted to the authority of God. Yeah. And in sinning was rebelling against the authority of God. Right. Okay. Um, Let me just read this quote. This is your quote. And it doesn't seem very fair. (laughs) Eve was deceived. And while women, the women's sense aren't guilty of her sin, they must bear the consequence of the curse upon womankind. Mm-hmm. And uh, you quote Genesis 3.16, 
to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. You, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Very unfair for women who don't, they didn't do what Eve did. It's fair that she gets to suffer, but why do women have to? That's just the nature of sin. Sin isn't fair. Ask the, the baby that's born a, an addict if there's fairness in life. There's, there's no fairness. Life isn't fair. Mm. And it's not God's fault. It might not be our fault either, but we have to deal with the consequences of sin. We do that every day. We live in a, a world that's fallen, that's broken. Um, nobody uh, is exempt from the consequences of sin. Everybody has tragedy in their life somewhere, whether it's their life or the life of a loved one. We're all one step away from catastrophe, but um, we just have to play the cards that we're dealt with, I guess. That, you know, part of the curse was, uh, well, when it says your desire shall be for your husband, I don't think that means that the woman is going to want to um, want to be under the husband's heel. I think it's talking about this strife in the marriage relationship. Her desire is for her husband's authority. Yeah. And um, you know, if you look at, at Genesis chapter 3 and then chapter 4 with the Cain and Abel story, there's um, wordplay going on there that helps us understand that. And so the, the, the wife's desire is for her husband's authority and the husband's desire is to crush his wife and to rule over her. And we are to uh, resist that temptation mm, okay. and submit to the roles that we've been given. Okay. Both, both have a uh, corrupted view of, of what they want in a marriage relationship. And yes. both have to overcome that corrupted yes. view. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And so it may seem unfair, but that is the role that we've been given. Yeah. And we're not given something that is impossible to do. And I, I named this study Reclaim Your Role because... Why didn't you call it Know Your Role? <laughs> because I think we there's dignity in our roles that God's given us. Yes, yes. Men should be encouraged to lead and to be men. And women should be encouraged to be godly and discreet and modest. These are... Uh, dignified attributes they should be praised when they have these we should be proud in christ when we fulfill the roles that we've been mm. given we shouldn't have to apologize mm -hmm. for having our god-given roles we should reclaim them as um, glorifying jesus as he has designed them i love that i really think that's essential too as you and i are now middle-aged. Oh, don't say that. That hurts, Jonathan. <laughs> I mean, it's true, but it hurts. <laughs> There's a new generation coming yeah. and a new generation that I think is being pushed around by a lot of isms, as we're about to talk about in a little bit, um, that you and I, they were, they're definitely were around, but I just feel like they're so much more uh, combative today. Mm -hmm. And so learning to be not just content, but, Learning to praise God, thank you, God, that I that I can glorify you in this role. Yeah, I heard just recently that uh, 
when God said in Genesis 1 and 2 when something was good, it wasn't just a observation of like something was pretty, but good as in it was useful to God's service and glory. Every part of creation was useful to God's service and glory. So our roles are useful to God's service and glory. They're good. Yeah, um, I like that. I'm curious about, I feel like I had one more thing I wanted to say from this, Genesis 3 and things before we, we got too far away from it. Maybe it'll come back to me. Um, how about we just, we keep going in 1 Timothy 2. and Sounds good. So we got one more verse left. Yeah, we're here. We are at, at, at towards the end. I would say we're at the end of the study, but at the rate we've been talking, we might stay on this page for a while. Um, <laughs> I'm going to read it. It says First Timothy two verse fifteen. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, with self-control. So this is perhaps. The most politically incorrect verse in the Bible. Yeah. I said, talk about a barefoot and pregnant uh, <laughs> interpretation. Yeah. What's going on here? I think we're looking at this verse wrong. Like we see this and say, what? A woman is only good for bearing children? That's crazy. Like surely she's worth more than that. And I think we're looking at it wrong. We're not looking at the role of women the way that God looks at it. The way that children are viewed uh, all the way through the Bible is a great blessing. And sometimes I think we get away from that. Um, here, Paul is saying that the ability to bear children is a tremendous blessing to women. Now, they have to bear the consequences of Eve's sin and bear sure. the consequences of the creation order. They're not allowed to be men. They're not allowed to have this role of authority. But uh, in um, to make up for that, if you will, they get to do something that men can't do. They do something that's unique, which is bear children. Mm. And they have the blessing of bringing new life into the world. You, before we get too far away from it, I talked about some isms. And you're saying that we view this verse wrong. And I think the, the connection you're trying to make is that we view it wrong because the worldview that is around us has greatly influenced us to view it wrong through the view of feminism and egalitarianism. So how about let's slow those down and what do you mean by those isms and uh, how have they influenced this view? Well, what I mean by both of them, I guess, is that this I, we have an idea in the world that I think that we in the Lord's Church are influenced by that men and women should be exactly equal. Whatever a man can do, a woman can do. Whatever a man can achieve, a woman can achieve. And not only could, but should. And that um, women are to uh, have, to value a career above all else and to act like men. And the Bible is saying 
that women should view the ability to have children as a tremendous blessing, not as a curse. If we view that as an inconvenience, then we have a different perspective than the Bible. Now, we already mentioned Proverbs 31, the virtuous woman, and she did a lot of things. She had children. She had a husband. She had a business. There's a lot of things that she did, and she was virtuous in all of those. So we shouldn't be focusing on what women can't do. We should be focusing on what women can do and how that can be a blessing. That women can bear children, for, for the most part, and that they should view that as something that's positive, mm. a, a blessing given to go, uh, by God, because they don't only have that child, that baby, but they can then raise that child as, it, as he or she grows and teach the child and um, what does it say? If they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. That's the environment that children need that their parents. The, that, that's what children need their parents to behave like, to right. influence them to grow up and be added to the kingdom. And so women can grow the church without ever preaching by having children. Now, they should talk to people as well, mm. but they have a unique ability mm -hmm. to glorify God by um, having children. Men can't do that no matter how much they might want to. That's something that only women can do, and it's a great blessing from God. Yeah. You, you said generally speaking, and we've referenced a bell curve a few times in this. Um, let's start with this question. What about women who can't bear children? What blessings do they have if uh, biologically there is an issue and they're, they're not able to have children? Well, but, I mean, that must be very difficult. But it's not like that's their only purpose in life. This verse isn't saying that women's only purpose in life is to have children. There are many ways that women can serve God and that can uh, be an example to others and to uh, reflect Jesus in their lives and um, be holy and look forward to a home in heaven. And so that there are blessings for Christian women, whether they um, have children or not. But uh, it's a general principle that as um, women can't have the same role as men, uh, as a group, they have this ability that men don't have. Does that answer your question? It does, but I have two more. What about young women who aren't married? Uh, maybe they're not interested in having kids yet. You know, they're 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 ten years off. Mm -hmm. You know, where are they at in this this conversation? Well, notice first of all, um, in Second Timothy, or is it First Timothy? I'm getting confused. First Timothy. First Timothy. Thank you. It's not talking about husbands and wives here. So oh. if you're a single person and you're thinking, well, this is an incredibly long podcast talking <laughs> about husbands and wives, this isn't me at all. Uh, I don't, I'm not getting married anytime soon. Well, there is a role for you, a role for you as a Christian man and as a Christian woman. And you can glorify Christ by 
living a holy life in the way that Jesus has prescribed, whether you are married or whether you are single. Now, specifically about the, the childbearing, um, you know, if you're not married, you 10 years away from thinking about having kids, that's fine. Uh, the point is that uh, women have a blessing from God that they can bear children, and we should view it as a blessing, yeah. not as a burden. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm thinking as well that you've got 10 years to prepare for a part of life Yeah, that you, you'll reap what you sow. If you're not preparing for it, then it may be that you get to that part of life and uh, maybe your home isn't financially ready to have kids or maybe this you know, you're relationally not ready to have kids. But if you took those time, and, and this, it's a similar way to, I know it's a different subject matter, but like with elders, we don't just ordain elders. They've put in a lot of practice decades of practice and they're trustworthy and and then they take on that role and so it is with i think this our young people you're 16 years old this scripture works for you too yeah. even though you may not have kids till you're 25 yeah um can you finally my, my last question says nevertheless she will be saved in childbearing what does it mean to be saved in childbearing uh, i think it's i think it's yeah, that's that's a difficult question, but I think we have to look at this in the context of all the scriptures. Sure. So it clearly doesn't mean that um, women are saved for salvation by the bearing of children, because right. all are one in Christ. The way to um, become a Christian, the way to be saved is to believe and uh, be baptized. So... It means something different. And I think that uh, it's it's talking about how to be... It's the antidote to the curse. Ah, okay. I think that's what it's, it's getting at. Because contextually, he's talking about why women are in this helper role. Why they can't have the role of authority that men have. And um, he tells them for those two reasons, creation order, and because the woman was deceived. And while the woman was deceived, nevertheless, they've got this going for them. Right. They have this blessing right. to um, counteract the curse. Yeah. Oh, I like that a lot. What, what do you think, Jonathan? Do you have a, an answer to your own question? Not, not much different than that, um, so much as that God's roles really are that important. And so, yeah, I, I take it in the bell curve as well. Generally speaking, when we're, we're talking about childbearing, it doesn't mean you have to have kids to make it to heaven. Yeah. But there's a role here, a role where you're ministering in a more private side of life, whereas the man is ministering more in, a, in the public side. He, uh, through the lifting of the holy hands, and is able to show the community in a public way. But you're, the works of a, a woman through her private living um, I think make as as big of an impact sometimes, if not bigger. I think about Dorcas in Acts chapter 9, 10. Man, I'm wrong. Anyway, whatever it's happening with Dorcas in Acts 8, 9, or 10, um, she was always engaged in good works, and these widow women were just so distraught whenever she died because of how much she helped that community. 
And so I do think, so I'm abandoning my, my inquisitor role and I'm just going, you know, back to host duties only. I really think what your study helps me and others see, what it should, is that these roles are essential to our faith. Yes. And these aren't optional for Christians. Now, we live in a a postmodern, egalitarian world to where we shouldn't be surprised when our neighbors and friends don't have these roles. Mm -hmm. But I have experienced, even recently, and you know some of my story recently, I have experienced people who don't share these roles, watch the way that Marissa and I interact, watch the way we interact with our kids, and they have literally asked the question, what's different about you? And our roles were the light that shined, not any words that we said. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so Sometimes it's not the arguments that, that win people, it's, it's the lifestyle, mm-hmm. the example, the love that's shown. Well, brother, why don't you uh, summarize it? You have three brief applications uh, at the end of your study. And I feel like this might be a good place to to wrap things up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think um, I'll just sneak in quickly that I think that um, it's the, the the women's role of childbearing is a nice counterbalance to the man's responsibility for the um, the uh, bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So while it's 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 I mean, it's the woman who, the mother who, especially in infancy, who's the one who's able to take care of the the, right. the baby. Right. And um, there's this cooperation here between the man who has the authority, uh, with the responsibility, I should say, to make sure that his children are spiritually educated and mm-hmm. the, women, the, the mothers who have the opportunity mm-hmm. to uh, be with them and teach them and nurture them. Oh, yes. I like that. Well done. I'm going to note that in my Bible later. I, I really think that's a great connection. So um, I guess we got three quick application points to just kind of summarize what we've talked about. I think we need to teach our children uh, gender roles by example and explicitly. So as we live our lives, we to show our children that men are to lead and be masculine and not be ashamed of that. And women are to submit and to live holy lives and be feminine and not be ashamed of that, to reclaim our roles mm-hmm. and teach our children that as we live our lives, we are um, reflecting Christ and the church and glorifying him. It's not about us. It's about Christ. And it's important for us to not just do that for ourselves, but for our children as well. And... I have no comment. I'm just going to, I'm sitting here basking in the glow of your applications. So go ahead, brother. (laughs) Our men should take leadership roles. This is number two. Our men should take leadership roles and our women should take helper roles. Mm -hmm. That's whether you're married or unmarried. Everyone has um, a job that they can do and they should do. And um, number three. I guess I'm going to, I'm going to break my vow of not having anything to say on your applications. (laughs) I lasted 15 seconds. <laughs> I just want to add, I think there's a spectrum that we fall on on our uh, acceptance of those roles or the ease of those roles. There are some men who are really naturally talented at leading and others who aren't. And there's are some women who are really naturally talented at helping and others who aren't. So some of you are going to be listening to this thinking, check, I yep. got it. 
And there's a lot of you that are going to be thinking, this is impossible. It, it can never happen. And both of you are going to have unique challenges to accepting and implementing this role. But anyone can do it um, because any of us can become a Christian. So we yeah. can all take these roles on. Yeah. yeah, and we all have different personalities. We all have different temptations that we deal with, whether it's a temptation to subvert the role or a completely different temptation. Mm-hmm. So we all have things that we need to work on and um, as we try and be more and more like Christ. Amen. So the third application. I'm kind of bleeding these together because <laughs> but uh, I have them pretty clearly delineated in the notes, but I'm kind of bleeding them together. But the third one is married men and women can especially show leadership roles in our families mm. because um, of what we talked about in Ephesians chapter five, right? where husbands and wives uh, show the relationship between Christ and the church. Yeah. But unmarried can still show their roles to the world outside as we looked in um, First Timothy chapter two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's never a time like the present to think about your role and start living it out instead of saying, "Oh, I'll just start. I'll do that whenever I get married." Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, th- there's so much uh, more to talk about as far as questions go, um, but if people want to, they can email me since they've they've pounded their steering wheel a few times. <laughs> Uh, they can email me at pureandsimplebible@gmail.com, and and I could pass along anything to you. Yeah, if if, if someone has any thoughts, disagreements, or um, things that have come up, I'd love to hear some feedback, or I'm sure you would too. Mm. And um, we can open our Bibles and see what the Word of God has to say. Yes, sir. Now you had 20 minutes to preach this at Sulphur, <laughs> and I'm looking at my recording, and we've been going for two and a half hours. Oh. What happened? Uh, <laughs> you're a good friend is what happened. I love talking to you. Love love talking Bible with you. And I think we, th- there's a lot there in our two texts. And we went down a lot of rabbit holes as well. And um, I think we both just had a good time. Oh, I did. I absolutely <laughs> did. Thank you for recording with me. And I look forward to the next time. Yeah. Thank you. I really am thankful for Jamie, and I'm thankful for Elizabeth and the kids who came over, and while Jamie and I were recording, uh, they ended up staying the whole time, and when you're recording for two and a half hours, that can be a long time for kids. So thank you to the whole Thompson family for coming over and spending that time with us. Now, uh, you can go to the website to check out all the resources that are free to download and use. You can also check out the podcast library. And I'd encourage you to consider subscribing to the podcast as well as leaving a five-star review, whether you're on SoundCloud, Google Music, Spotify, or uh, Apple Podcast, Giving a five-star review, if you feel like it's worthy of that, is really helpful to the analytics. It's not just about stroking my ego. It is about affecting these algorithms to get uh, whenever people put Bible podcast or Christian podcast into their search engine, the more that people recommend this podcast, the more it will be recommended to others. So please help me out with that good work, please and thank you. And I want you to remember, just like I say every week, that God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon.